0: Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry, however, many of the practices that we take for granted are out of date, illogical, or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room, and I'm here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a couple of F-bombs thrown in for good measure. Pilates Elephants is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher who really fucking knows your stuff. I am here with Pilates legend, and I'm proud to say my good friend, John Gary. Welcome, John.
1: Hello, and thank you so much for having me on again. I'm... I'm uh... Really happy to be here and I'm excited to to talk about our topics
0: today. Yeah, me too. Hey, um, just in case there's anybody in the Pilates universe who hasn't heard of you, can you introduce yourself?
1: <laughs> yes, my my name is John Gary, <laughs> and I am the creator and president of John Gary TV, and that is an online Pilates and fitness studio with uh, video on demand. So we have now, we just reached over a 1,000 workouts (laughs) on John Gary TV. And although I haven't done every single one of them, I have a team of instructors uh, teaching with me now. I have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I have to say it's one of the, it's the best thing uh, career wise that I have ever done. And, um, and I'm excited, so excited about the the stuff that's coming up as well. So that's who I am. I've been in the industry teaching Pilates for, oh my gosh, since, oh my gosh, it's 30 years now, <laughs> since 1992 when I taught my first mat class wow. and, um, and yeah, and in the fitness industry since, uh, the mid eighties. So, so a long time I've been in, in, uh, around, I've been around for a while, Ralph. I've been around for a while.
0: Yeah, (laughs) uh, you have. And, uh, still going incredibly strong. And, uh, I think, you know, I've been around for a while too, not quite as many of a while as you have, but right up there. And, um, I've, we've been friends since what the early 2000s, something like that. Um, when we yeah, met yeah. through stop pilates uh you were really the you know when i grew up in the stop pilates system as a as a trainee instructor like you were on all the dvds and you were like the i don't know you were kind of like a hero for all of us who were going through that uh, instructor training program it was like oh you know john gary your name was spoken in hush hushed tones and, um, <laughs> when, when I, when I got to meet you, I, I think it would have been at the licensed training center conference, um, in Toronto, you know, I can't remember what year, 2000 and 2000 and something, um, that we met. I was like, oh my God, I'm starstruck John Gary. Um, but since then, you know, we've got to know each other quite well. Um, and I've, you know, hung out with you and, and Mike you know a, a fair bit you know, well i guess a fair a fair bit for people who live 5000 miles apart <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, yes so i i i'm really looking forward to having this conversation and so i i guess i've seen f- from the outside your uh, transition from being the you know really in my mind the most prominent you know biggest profile kind of representative of stop pilates and other brand to to starting your own thing and creating your own brand sort of first in parallel with that we had you know um, John Gary Pilates and fitness in in Long Beach and now you have you know John Gary TV which is you know and you're not affiliated with stop pilates anymore so you truly have created your own you know thing and uh, fucking awesome thing you've created you know like and i want to talk about that uh, in in a minute but so i think you know that of watching you go through that uh, journey and sort of participating in it in small parts you know along the way from time to time has been really exciting and that's what we're going to talk about is creating your own thing in pilates and how to how to do it successfully and also maybe some of the some of the sort of i don't know uh some of the things that aren't so glamorous about creating your own thing, some of the challenges, some of the drawbacks, some of the, you know, sort of anxiety points and and whatever uh, to give people just an insight into your journey and maybe my journey a little bit as well because I kind of went a little bit on a parallel journey where I was affiliated with Stop Pilates and now I'm no longer affiliated with Stop Pilates and I have created my own thing. So, John, can you tell us, can you tell us, uh, you know, tell – can you talk about the, I guess, that from a, just from a, a psychological standpoint, you know, for you, like w- about that journey from, you know, really being sort of like entwined in the Stop Pilates brand and and really, you know, in, I think in my mind, you were kind of synonymous with the Stop Pilates brand uh, for many years and to, you know, that kind of transition through sort of. John Gary, John Gary Pilates and Fitness, where you know you were still working with Stop Pilates, and you and in parallel you kind of had your own thing going. And now, where you are, you know, completely, you know, solo. Um, yeah. So psychologically, what's that? You know, can you talk us through that journey?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I think it it, it goes even further back than that because you know when my when I started my career, I started first uh, teaching for other people and managing. Um, different organizations, aerobics programs, uh, group fitness programs, and then Pilates programs. And uh, I learned a ton doing that. And I I really liked being part of the organizations that that I've been a part of. I've been really fortunate to work for uh, great companies and have really good mentors that uh, helped me learn how to lead, learn how to manage. And I think that's, that helped me, um, you know, throughout my career, it's re- it's really helped me a lot. And um, then it got to a point where I didn't really want to manage for someone else. I really wanted to have my own, my own business. And that's how I kind of partnered up with, Stop Pilates because you know we we kind of saw each other. I I was mainly a um, a fitness personality then, as opposed to a Pilates personality, Mm -hmm. and so I I met them at at a conference. That's how that's how we originally met back in the late 1990s. And after some conversations with them and um, some soul-searching and decision-making, I did decide to go through the, the whole Soft Pilates program and then open my own licensed training center. So it's kind of a weird thing, right? Because you have your own business, but you're also an education license center for another brand. So, um, I, you know, my, my business was called John Gary Pilates and then John Gary pilates and fitness and but at the same time we were a stop pilates licensed training center so there was that kind of dichotomy there where i was running my own business the courses all of the things that that you do for the licensed training center are yours and then you pay a licensing fee to them um, for students and stuff like that and at the same time i was a master trainer for them so that meant that i was creating programming um, being being in their uh, DVDs and vid- different video projects for them, and traveling the world, which I had already been traveling the world before, but this was you know traveling the world as a, as a Pilates teacher, and and I loved it, and you know I I, lo- I did learn a ton, and I thought it was a really good partnership. One of the things that I found that I loved the most about what I was doing in my, in my career, in my life was uh, making videos and teaching on camera. Um, I had, I had done some of that before I worked with Marithew with Stop Pilates. Um, i had done a few fitness videos, but I did it, but not the production that was the Marithew or the Stop Pilates production, um, for video shoots. They were, they were huge. Um, and, I really enjoyed being in front of the cameras and having big camera crews and all that stuff. It was really exciting. It was really fun. Um, and I, I loved every single thing about it. I was, you know, when other, when other, uh, instructors were, were on camera, I was, you know, checking out what was happening behind the scenes. I just loved it. I loved every single part of it. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So, um, so I did. I just I just started uh, making my own classes, and I started um, the first kind of version, original version of of John Gary TV, which was uh, JG Fit, and I did it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I loved doing it. It was like something that I wanted to do, and number two, I saw a need for, uh, for having, this was six years ago. So I saw a need for having online classes for instructors that I had met around the world and, and instructors that I knew I couldn't reach by, you know, going to their studio and they couldn't come to me, you know, if they were in middle America or wherever. Um,
0: Cause you were in, classes. you were in so Long Beach I, at I, the time, right?
1: Yeah, I was in Long Beach. So, you know, it's, I thought, it, this is a great way to be able to reach people. And, and at the time it was primarily instructors and be able to teach master classes, which was what a lot, a lot of people wanted me to come and do at their, at their studios. And I love doing it, but there's only so many places you can go in a year. Right? right. And so many times you can go there. So, um, so that's what I did. And we, and I started it and then it, it uh, turned Stop Milady saw it as a, as a conflict. Um, and so that was, that, that was a struggle. Um, and we tried to work it out, but I really was so, um, I was so focused on building that part of my business. And it was, and it, it was just, I just saw the path ahead of me and I, there was no way I was going to turn around and I really didn't want to. Um, I really didn't want to do it with anyone else. I wanted it to be my own thing because I had over, over the time that I taught Pilates and brought my kind of fitness, um, in influence into the way that I taught Pilates. It was my own brand. You know, yeah. it was kind of my, my own style of teaching and, I really didn't want to sell that programming to someone else. I wanted to keep it. And so I, you know, it it was a challenge because I enjoy, I very much enjoyed working um, with the team at Stop Pilates. I'm still really good friends with a lot of the, a lot of the staff there and the, and the uh, other licensed training center owners and uh, other presenters and stuff like you. (laughs) And so, you know, that, that you know i really i i i still have all of those connections so I don't feel like I lost anything there i feel like i i really feel like i only gain um because it I, I i don't this has nothing to do with stop a lots america it has to do with me i felt like the chains were finally broken off and I was like Free to run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I did, I just felt like, okay, you can do anything now. Um, and so that, that's, that was kind of the psychology of it. It was just this freedom and, um, you know, this knowing that I was, that I was kind of living my passion, the thing that I had kind of wanted to do my whole life be on camera Teach exercise. It all kind of came together, so it, it it was, um, it was great. And to be able to provide something of value to instructors and then and then at home practitioners, um, you know, people just started doing uh Pilates classes at home more and more and more and more. And uh, so, so yeah, so it it just um, it just worked out. It worked out really well.
0: So all right, so that that i guess that freedom that sense of like yeah no one's going to tell me how to do this now you know i can i can literally do anything i want um you know i'm i'm very familiar with that that you know that was a big part of my sort of motivation as well but uh, i guess um to what ex- you know because in reality that's n- i'm, I'm going to challenge that a little bit a little bit and go okay well that's not really true because i mean if what you, if what you really, really wanted to do was, I don't know, some kind of really obscure thing that no one was interested in, well, it's like, well, you're sure you can do it, but no one's going to pay you to do it. And I so, say, so, so to a certain extent, yeah, sure. You can do anything you want, literally, but, but. To be commercially successful, you also have to find something that you really want to do that resonates with people and solves a problem for people. So, you know, has there been any tension between that for you, or you know how how do you, how do you see that?
1: Yeah. So part of you know what part of what I wanted to do, you know, you know, a, a large part of this was. As I said, I really wanted to be able to provide the athletic Pilates classes to people everywhere and have a way for them to be able to, you know, take my workouts everywhere. And so that, I think that's a key part of, of what you just said. I saw a problem that I could solve doing something that I was really passionate about. So the problem was people wanting to take classes from me or come to the come to the studio in Long Beach from all over the world to take classes from me or have me travel somewhere else which as i said can only happen once a year maybe sometimes once every few years um but with what was happening with technology, what was happening with the ability for people to watch classes really easily. Um, and to be able to create, we started out with a, with a website. We didn't start out with, the, with what we have now. We didn't have apps that's when we started. We just had a website and, you know, people could connect with us from all over. And so then, you know, figuring out, okay, so how do I make sure I can make a living off of this? Um, is there, um, are there enough people that want this? Uh, so, so I had to figure that into the equation and I didn't just, you know, I, I wasn't in a position to, and I didn't want to abandon my studio Mm-hmm. And just you know, put everything into this other. Well, maybe I did, but I didn't think it was a good idea. <laughs> I didn't think financially it was a good idea.
0: <laughs> right. So you had this studio, you had this studio that was producing, you know, regular profits, and that basically you you were living off. Uh, and you had a hog team, amazing team of instructors there, and uh, then you had this kind of nascent, you know, JG Fit uh, business that that at that stage probably wasn't producing much if any profit but that you were you know wildly oh, passionate, no. wildly um, passionate about so yeah so the
1: studio so this is i think this I'm going to jump in here because okay. I think this is crucial it was like a hobby in the beginning so the studio the uh, you know revenue that we made at the studio was paying for my hobby in uh-huh. the beginning I was not making any money. Uh, you know, I, I needed a place to film. I needed cameras. I needed equipment, you know, and in the beginning I was running equipment back and forth. I was running a reformer back and forth from the studio to the film studio. I mean, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but I really wanted to do it. And I really, really, really wanted to make it work. Um, and so, you know, we started putting stuff on, on YouTube, i I did in the beginning I, I you know I did a lot of things that we ended up chucking out the window um because they didn't work, yep. you know but some of the stuff we did worked really well, and so I kind of built on that the... but yeah, the studio, if I didn't have that successful studio in Long Beach, I would not have john gary t. v.
0: Well, thank goodness for the and studio.
1: Running them, yeah. yeah, and at the same time, you know, Mike had been, uh, my partner had been running the business. You know, uh, John he was the business side of of the studio, the brick and mortar studio, and he was running that. And I started. So our timing sometimes is not the best. So I so I wanted to start john gary tv so i started doing that which took time away from the studio i was still managing uh the the instructing team and that sort of thing but he was in charge of the front desk staff and and you know all all of the business side of the operations and he at, at a certain point wanted to go back to the airline business because that's that's where he came from i had already had um John Gary TV for ten years, and he was working in the airline business. He left the airline business, and I was like, "Why don't you just come and manage this?" Because at the time, we had like twenty some employees. Why don't you come and manage the studio? Um, and that will give me an opportunity. First, I did a world tour with Sapolati. Then I did, you know, then I did some more videos. It gave me a time time to do that, and then I started John Gary TV. Well, pretty much right after I started John Gary TV. Mike said, I have an opportunity to go back into the airlines and I want to take it. And it's in Chicago. (laughs) And I said, of course you do. And of course you're going to, because that's what we do. We, we support each other with all of that stuff. We'll, We'll figure out a way. So he went to Chicago. I took back the, all the responsibility of running the whole studio at the same time trying to run um, John Gary TV.
0: And at the same time commuting across the continent to, to spend time with Mike as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it wasn't a fun couple of years. It sucked. It, I, I was super stressed out. Um, I was stretched really thin. It was working, you know, I can't even tell you how many hours, you know, 12-hour days easily and um still feeling totally underwater because John Gary TV was starting to pick up and the studio at the time was having we had some new competition move in so it needed a lot of attention mm. that I wasn't able to give it. So if it you know it took a hit. The fitness side, not the Pilates side the fitness side of the studio took a hit and we ended up making it just back to our roots, all Pilates. You know, so a little bit the fitness, the athletic flair to it, but we took out the cycle classes, we took out, you know, the just fitness-based, solely fitness-based classes, mm-hmm. and tried to like bring it down to a manageable size as well for me to be able to do both. And then we bought our house in the outside of Chicago in the suburbs, in Wheaton. And so finances were really, really stretched, right? They were very, very stretched. Um, and I'm, and, but the house we bought had, has this, well, if you've seen any of our videos, we have the studio next to the house. It was a five car garage that the guy who owned the house before us built. And we converted it into a film studio. So, I wanted to be here, obviously. So, so somehow I convinced myself that I should move here <laughs> and only go out to the studio on weekends. So, it, you know, it, it became, long story short, it was a huge struggle. We were fortunate enough to be able to have a great person that wanted to buy the studio and it took, it was a really long process, very complex because you're trying to sell a licensed training center mm-hmm. and a studio. Um, and so it was very complex, but we made it happen. And, um, you know, it was a stroke of luck, the biggest luck in the world, that it was October before the pandemic hit oh, that we finalized. sale. It's luck. It's just, just luck because at the same time, once the pandemic hit, then our business, our business evolved into, um, lots of instructors still, but a lot of at home people, because so many people got into wanting to, um, work out at home and they were buying reformers left and right to do, to do classes at their house. So, um, you know, so our business grew and we, and, you know our but our main goal, which was to be able to provide people with the ability to do Pilates anywhere in their home um, that stayed the same and our motto of making classes fun, making them athletic, making them fun, uh, you know work out, smile, and sweat that's that's what that's what we do that's kind of my life philosophy smile and sweat and you
0: totally you totally live it and that's you know that's what comes through just you know shining through in even if I just see like a 15 second snippet of you on Instagram like it's just so apparent that that's what you stand for Um, I want I want to ask you about where you stand on you know after you told me about those you know 12 hour days and still feeling underwater and commuting from Chicago to Long Beach (laughs) um, uh, where do you stand on work-life balance?
1: Well, that wasn't a good time for it, <laughs> for sure. I, I don't recommend that, but you know, sometimes it's necessary. What, what Mike and I both, cause he, he's, uh, I'm not going to say a workaholic cause that's not, that that's, um, that's not really I, I don't that's a to me it's a negative term. Yeah, we it's both pa- it pathologizes very, very much enjoy something. what we
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we both very much enjoy what we do. So we like staying busy. We love the industries that we're in. And so, you know, part of part of for me, I I don't feel like I'm working long days. I feel like I'm having fun I don't feel like I'm I know that sounds really it, it, to, to some people it might sound stupid but I don't it is work but I don't at all dread it it's fun it's yeah. you know I, I I at the same time that it's daunting like I can you have a choice that's, that's the way I look at this you've got a choice you can either look at your day and go shit <laughs> at the beginning of every day, when you're looking at what needs to be accomplished. Um, and you know, that's a choice or you can look at that day and go, okay, let's, let's tackle it. Let's see what we can take down on this list. And you know, that's the path I choose most, most days, I would say 90% of the days. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we I'm with you. also love to travel. Yeah. We also love to travel. So we, There are a couple things that I do to create that, that work-life balance. One is, uh, we, I love to go down into the city. If, if I didn't schedule it, I would not do it. So we have season tickets to the theater in downtown Chicago. So, you know, at least once every couple of months, we drive into the city, we book a hotel, we put the dogs in the dog hotel and we go see a show, go have a nice dinner and have a good time. It's like, it's like a mini vacation for us and Mm -hmm. it refuels us. We love it. And, and we do the same thing with big vacations. Mm -hmm. We probably, I mean, Mike loves travel. He's he's in the airline business. So we probably travel more than most people, but that's what we love to do. So, um, so we, we book travel and his, so (laughs) one of his favorite things to do is planned trips, mm-hmm. like all the logistics, all the things that ugh, I hate. <laughs> so I'll just let him do it and give me the dates, And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about things. He knows what I like and what I don't like. So he'll book things. And I, I get to see awesome parts of the world and, and get to, you know, fly these crazy aircraft that he finds that he wants to f- figure out a way to, for us to be able to fly on. And yeah, so that's how we kind of create our balance. And I have to say, when you have, for us, dogs, you, you know, they require attention. Um, and, you know, they are, they help us create that balance. So we know, we we have our responsibility. So we've got to go take them for a walk. Yeah. So that's something that we do every day. And it's, you know, at least, at least a mile um, if it's bad weather, if it's, if it's nice weather, we go for two miles and, you know, we have, we're lucky. We have a forest preserve across the street with nice trails. So we go over there and it's just, that just gives my head. I did, I did it before our call. Cause it's, it's in the late afternoon here or early evening. Um, so I did it before our call and I just, you know, I have to focus on the dogs because one is a three-year-old wild child and the other is a 15 year old slowpoke. So between, <laughs> between the two of them. There's no, like, I can't be on the phone, I can't do anything else, yeah. I've got to focus on those dogs. But it is the best part of the day. Yeah. It is the absolute best part of the day. Because my brain just clears, I come back, and I'm ready to, to do the second half of the day.
0: Dogs are amazing like that. They, they get you out of the house, they bring you into the present. Um, yeah. W- yeah. Tell me about you know going out you know from you know just going back to that notion of of feeling like the shackles were off and freedom you could do whatever you want and to what extent for you was that a double-edged sword and and what i'm trying to get at here is well when when you are when I, and when i say you i mean like just generically people when people are you know when we're working within someone else's business brand a framework it it's you know there, there are absolutely there are pressures on us you know working when we work for others we have to measure up to their standards and etc but but one of the pressures you don't have when you're working under someone else's banner is like you're not really putting yourself out there so much you know you're you're a representative of someone else's brand and so you know any flack that you cop whether that that is from sort of external people but i'm really thinking more of just like our internal flack that we create for ourselves around, uh, you know, negative self-talk and whatever. It's like, really, you're just a representative of someone else's brand. So, but when, when you go out on your own and it it truly is like something that you personally have created, you know, you, you birthed this brand, this, you know, this, this business, it's like, well, like everything that's good and everything that sucks about it, you know, came from you. And so, 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 you know, (laughs) Can you talk me through that, you know, to what extent, you know, do you kind of angst over that, you know, from zero to a hundred, you know, do you struggle with imposter syndrome or self-doubt? Um, and and if so, you know, what do you do about it?
1: I, I, I think it's part of human nature to to struggle with that at at times. And, um, you know, of course I do there, there, I will, one of the hardest things for me to do, which I have to do, is go back and watch the workout that I filmed. Oh, yeah, that it's, is so hard because I, because yes. I, uh, I do I do the notes for the workouts, so I want to make sure that they match, and I also want to check the. I just want to check what the set looks like. You know, it's quality control as well, not just of myself, but also of like, okay, do I like these camera angles that we're using? Do I like what the set looks like? Do I like this? Do I like that? Um. And so that is when I have the hardest time I'm much better at it than I was before. Um, but that's watching yourself on camera and listening to your voice uh, is jarring. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, like not, it's sometimes not at all what you thought was happening when you were, when you were, uh, filming it. Yeah. And so that, that is, That is a tough thing. And I'm laughing now, but I'll sit there. uh, And like I said, it doesn't happen as much now, but in, especially in the beginning, I'll sit there and I would sit there and look at the video and just say to myself, okay, you're just, you're obviously just going to refilm this. This is shit. (laughs) Like, what were you thinking? Um, And I, uh, I can't remember his name now, but I, I followed for a long time, this guy on, on YouTube and I saw him, I saw him do uh, someone's podcast and they, they asked him, you know, kind of a similar question about what do you do? And he said, you know what? The most important thing in this business is to produce. So if you're looking for perfection, you're never going to put anything out there. You put it out there. And then the next time you improve on it because you're going to be so much harder on yourself, typically, (laughs) typically, not everyone, but typically (laughs) most people are harder on themselves than other people will, will be on you or most people will be on you. And it was such a good lesson for me. And I, since then, you know, I just put the stuff out there and, you know, I mean, there's a difference between, putting the stuff out there on John Gary TV, which is, you know, our business that people subscribe to. And typically people subscribe to that because they've already, um, decided that they like me enough to watch me or to take a workout from me. So the comments and feedback I get from our John Gary TV subscribers are, are 99% positive. Mm -hmm. Um, now, however, <laughs> stuff you put out on YouTube and Instagram, that's a different ballgame, right? Because that's open to everybody and there's a lot of, you know, whatever, trolls or whatever out there that, um, you know, that their goal in life is to knock you down a notch. And I, you know, the way I look at it now some I'll read things and sometimes go, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and then, you know, it, it takes me a minute and then I can laugh about it uh-huh. but, because, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just me. It's, it's just me. Um, so, you know, I just take, take it down. I, Cause I, I'm not about putting negative stuff out in the world and I'm not about letting other people put negative stuff out in the world if I can help it. So I just take it down. And move on because that person, and and thank the person for the the view, because <laughs> they may have left a nasty comment, but you still got a view out of it. <laughs> Helps the algorithm.
0: Take that couple. You
1: know, you just try. <laughs> yeah, you just have to. You you got to take the you got to take the positive out of it, and you can't let. You really do need a wall. Cause you can't let that stuff in. Um, you know, I I really believe that you've got to kind of keep it as even keel as possible because you're going to get the really high accolades too. And, you know, if you're not going to take in those really negative ones, you're really going to kind of have to temper taking in those really positive ones too. You've got to kind of meet in the middle. And then, and then I think it's easier to navigate the, the haters.
0: Yeah, well, I love I love what you said there about both things. Um, sort of the self talk uh, thing is really just like you know done is better than perfect. You know, it's about just producing, and uh, you know I, that's the absolutely the same mental uh, sort of hack that I use or the rule of thumb that I use is like man, just like qu- quantity over quality. <laughs> and you know obviously you yeah. try you try and put out as good quality as possible you know like you want to put out stuff that's really valuable to people but what i'm what i mean by quantity over quality is like you know if you look at my social media posts you'll see every single one you'll find a typo or a full stop out of place or something like that you know the, the board i was gonna up,
1: bring know. that up yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 but, okay
1: know. can i i'm gonna seriously tell you yeah. never i have not never i never noticed i well, watch your posts all the time and and that's i think that's what what you need to keep, you probably do keep in mind yeah. that you're going to see all that stuff. And some people are going to point it out to you, but for the most part, people don't. I, yeah. I, I mean, they're not focused on that. They're fo- focused on
0: the message. Right. And, and, you know, for this podcast, you know, many people that record podcasts, like m- many people that record podcasts or even just YouTube clips or whatever, edit out, they have an editor, you know, somewhere in the world who edits out all the ums and ahs and breaths and, you know, starters and stammers and, and all the rest of it, uh, you know, to make it sound more professional and slick and whatever. It's like, we never do that. And I just, you know, I'm I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, but for me, like, Getting just getting an episode out every week without fail, like we have not missed a single week in seventy seven weeks since we started this podcast. We've released one Christmas, New Year's, you know, come rain, come hail, come sleep, you know, an episode comes out every week, and that's because we we've, we've just taken a decision to make it easy for ourselves by you know literally we just it, we you know it's totally unscripted. We just record it. We just record a conversation. Do not edit it except uh you know just normalize the volumes, and it publish it it's like (laughs) we're just trying to make it as easy as possible to get the content out you know fluffs and all and you know the people who can't tolerate listening to lots of ums and ahs, i guess don't listen to it
1: yeah and you know what i think i am right there with you because we made a decision very early on uh in john Gary tv so this is six years ago After some trial and error on YouTube of how much can I produce a week and, you know, realistically go forward with. And what I found was when it was just me, I could release one reformer workout, one mat workout, and one fitness-based workout every week. And same as you, we have done that for six years um, religiously. And that means... If the dogs get up in the middle of the workout and they come and stand in front of you, you push them out of the way and keep going. <laughs> you know, there's no time to stop yep. and reshoot it. There's just there, there's just no time. And what I found is the majority of really positive comments that we get are I just love that your dogs are in the workout and they do the same things my dogs do at home. Yeah. It cracks me up. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure there are some people who are like, oh, for God's sake, there's a dog in the middle of the shot, unsubscribed. But, you know, uh, it hasn't really affected our business. You know, it hasn't affected it in in a negative way. I think it shows that we're real people. And I think people, I think people are looking for that authenticity. They have enough of the people that are editing themselves to death on Instagram and social media. They're looking for real. And I, I think that there's there's. Way more people out there looking for real than there are looking for the most edited version of whatever they're, whatever they're doing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there are, uh, I, I think very, very similarly. I think uh, my background, you know, many decades ago was in music. I was a musician and um, uh, I, I can put air quotes around it, but professional musician. And, uh, I had a a music recording business for, you know, a decade or so. And I really, you know, I, so I listen to music production a lot, like in terms of like the recording quality and the, the sounds that people are getting out of instruments and things like that. And even someone who's not really into production, you could probably think, you know, of some, um, tracks that are very slickly produced. Like a lot of what comes out these days is very slickly produced. You know, everything's kind of perfect. Whereas like there, it kind of uh, goes in ebbs and flows in fashion in terms of music production. And in the kind of early nineties, we went, you know, in reaction to kind of this super very, very highly produced sound that we had in the eighties with all the new romantics and, and stuff like that. We went into, you know, Nirvana came out, you know, with the album Nevermind in like, I think it was 91 or 90 or something, 89, something like that. And, and, you know, the whole thing about Nirvana was it's like, it was totally underproduced you know like their 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 look was just you know torn denim jeans and plaid shirts you know their, <laughs> their their sound was so raw and so unproduced and like you could tell that like actually they left outtakes in on the album like there's a there's a passage in one of those tracks where he, you can tell kirk Coban actually forgets the lyric and sings the wrong lyric and then goes back and starts again and they just left it in you know um and this was like one of one of the most influential albums. I mean, like Nirvana, I hate them, but that was one of the most influential albums of all time in in rock music. It influenced a whole generation of you know of musicians and producers and 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 so you know what that really illustrates to me is that. And you know, I think about other people who are very similar in terms of the ethic of recording, you know, James Brown, the Beastie Boys, a lot of you know sort of basically play it through and and just you know keep it live. Um. Like it's totally, you know, what that convinces me of is it's totally possible to be wildly popular and just also be totally like raw and, you know, real, you know, um, and that's kind of the philosophy that we uh, yeah, found this podcast on.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, part of that, part of the reason that we're willing to, um, you know. I don't even know if accepted is the right word, but we're willing to go there with, with whoever it is that, that's creating this stuff that isn't exactly perfect, that there are some flaws in there is that they have, they have talent, they have a draw, they have, you know, what I call it, you know, the it factor yeah. Yeah. That, that people talk about. So you are willing to go there with them and it actually humanizes them. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are going to be times. There are times when we're filming, and something happens, and I'm like, okay, well, that we're not going to. We're we're going to stop and start again. You know, something that would be really distracting. That's external. You know, that <laughs> this has happened. Um, right. Our neighbors start chainsawing the tree right next right. to the studio. You know, you're not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to continue filming. Um, until until that stops. So so you know, there are there are times when you you know, you make a decision that, okay, this this is not going to work. Um but when it's something like what you were talking about where it's it's not exactly perfect, right? Then then I I think that's I think there's a difference there. So I wanna I wanna kind of draw a distinction between something that you know, is unreleasable, right? And something that is not is not perfect,
0: right? So there's a difference between putting out shit and putting out awesome work that's a bit rough around the edges. <laughs> it's
1: right, that's that's what I was looking for. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for the clarity.
0: <laughs> um, all right, I, I want to talk about um, you know finding your tribe because you know really. Uh, you know, what we've been talking about here and articulating is this idea of you know, being authentic, being real, you know, leaving it rough around the edges uh, and getting it done more than getting it perfect. And, you know, that appeals, like you said, to a, to people, but I think it appeals to certain people and not to other certain people. And so, you know, by the very nature of, you know, taking that conscious, like, intention of like, okay, we're going to get it done more than we're going to kind of angst over getting it 100% perfect, um, you know, in that decision, you're kind of deciding, you know, in one way, like who you're for and who you're not for, right? So, how do you, how how have you, you know, found your tribe? Because I remember at one time, you thought that that, you know, you told me very early on, I think, that JJTV was for instructors, but it actually it turned out it was more for, you know, clients at one point. So, yeah, how have you found your tribe? How much of that has been intentional? And how much of it has been just like serendipitous?
1: I, well, I think that there is definitely a strong intention there. And so what you, what you, it all comes about with what I, what I call your brand. And I don't even know if I'm using the term correctly, but it's, it's who, what problem are you solving is, is number one. So you have, you have this idea and then you have to decide, is it even solving a problem? If it's not, you're probably not gonna <laughs> not gonna be a success. So what you know, what problem are you solving? And then focus in on that. Um, I think one of the big mistakes that people make is trying to be all things to all people. And it just it just doesn't work. And I think that's probably what happened in our studio when we expanded and added spinning rooms and you know, group, different group fitness rooms and you know, trampoline room, like all of this stuff, we start we we started to be, you know, the one-stop shop we called it, but really, our our focus should have been on that Pilates-based um, athletic workout because that's really that's really what I think I'm the best at. Um, in terms of everything else that that I can do, I think I'm the best at that, and so that was the number one thing that I wanted to do with my video on demand service was really focus on athletic-based Pilates. That's fun. Um, and that, and I just kept that in mind and that's how we marketed it. And that's how we, we, the imagery that we use, um, the social media content that we put out it, that is my number one guiding thing just the most important thing when we we put out our product. So if I look at it and I see that and like we said before, other things aren't perfect, I'm good. Let's go with it. If I look at it and I go, you know what? That was just an off day, which has never happened. (laughs) But if it were to happen... I were to look at the video and say <laughs> that that was an off day. <laughs> I I wouldn't put it out there, but um, but there are times when I felt that it was an off day. But when I watch it back, I'm like, you know what? That's not half bad. That's better than I. That's really a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, so you know, that's also a lesson, right? Sometimes how you feel inside about what you what you produce isn't actually what you end up seeing.
0: Can, can I just, um, you can probably just, found that with yeah, the podcast. I want to echo that because, uh, and then I want you to, I want to hear what the rest of what you want, were going to say is, because I found that, you know, just by experience, my personal experience of how, of, of an episode is almost completely out of touch with, with what the listeners experience. Like a few weeks ago, I recorded an episode with um, my friend and colleague Heath, and we talked about, uh, an exercise toolbox. And now, you know, we were having actually just having a phone conversation earlier in the week and about how great it is just to teach really simple exercises like planks and lunges and squats and push ups and things like that. And it's like, you can construct a whole class around just like a dozen basic exercises and, and keep it interesting for a year without the clients ever sort of getting bored. Um, and we were talking and we said, Oh, well, let's do a podcast on it. And we recorded a podcast. And at the end of the podcast, I just felt like, Oh, that was such a flat conversation it was like you know that was not our best work you know no one's going to want to listen to that we shouldn't release it um but uh the the producer of the show uh convinced me to release it and i trusted her judgment and she was correct because you know that's one of our most downloaded episodes ever i get so many messages and dms people, yeah. people going oh amazing i love that episode it's like man i just can't hear it you know but yeah, so I think just what you said, like sometimes when you you you, you create something, you think, ah, oh, that was not my best work. But then you never know what's going to resonate yeah. with people.
1: No, it's true. You know, I mean, you hear recording artists say that all the time, that the song on the album that they thought they were just throwing it on there because they needed another song on the album and they didn't really like it becomes the number one bestseller. You know, it you just don't, you don't really know how it's going to resonate with people. You, you don't. And I think that's it goes along, you know, we've had this kind of growing theme in here of get it done, produce, put it out, you know, and then, and then if it doesn't work, you know, okay, yep, that didn't work. We won't do it again or we won't do it that way again. Um, but I think, you know, to, to kind of put a bow on that, the topic that we were talking about about how do you find your tribe, if you stay true to your course, you are going to find the people that want what you are providing and those are going to be you know what they call like the sticky c- client or the sticky subscriber right they are going to stay with you because they really li- they are there because they saw your product and they like it and when they come on to they saw your you know uh, marketing and they liked it and when they come on to your whatever it is if you have an online subscription of uh, business or whatever it is, they're getting what they saw in the marketing. So I think that's really, really important. That being said, it's going to take a while, and I mentioned this before. you know, in the beginning, I was really glad that I had another business that could support John me <laughs> and John Kerry TV. While we were growing that audience, um, we have been really successful at having consistent growth month after month, after month, after month for six years, consistent, but in the beginning, slow, it grew and grew and grew, but it was slow, but I was like, okay, but it keeps growing. It keeps growing. And at some point, you know, you're going to hit that, that point where it explodes and and so you just have to keep going. You can't be afraid. You can be afraid, but you can't stop if you feel like, you know, if, if you're, if you're feeling like you're failing, you might have to change course a little bit or adjust, but you've got to keep going. It, it's just, it's so important, especially if you're passionate about it and you know that you're gaining ground. If you're, if you're gaining ground, you just keep going.
0: So let's, let's talk about that a little bit more about the, I guess the kind of the expectation versus the reality, because I I, I know for me, you know, when I started uh, my first studio and again, when I started Breathe Education, you know, I had extremely pie in the sky kind of dreams and expectations. I thought they were all going to come true and in six months I'd be the most successful, you know, (laughs) well-respected Pilates trader in the world and you know, uh, with, you know, 100% happy clients and delighted staff and all of the rest of it. And then, of course, the reality intrudes and, you know, it's not exactly what you expected. And, you know, five years later, you're still kind of fumbling your way around and figuring out how to do it. Um, and there are, you know, always sort of setbacks and unexpected challenges that you sort of didn't plan for and things don't go as well as you, you know, as I did on the spreadsheet before you started out and all of that. So, yeah, so tell me about, you know, for you was you know what were the discrepancies, if any, between sort of expectation and reality, and, and slash, you know, what was your learning curve? Um,
1: yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. So, so thinking back, I mean, I I was, um, you know, I thought we would. Hit numbers faster than we hit them. Probably everybody thinks that when they start a business, right? As soon as everybody sees what I have to offer, we're good, you know. Um, so, but in marketing, you got to put that in front of their face a number of times because they might see it and be interested, but they they can't for whatever reason hit the subscribe button at that moment. So you have to keep going. You have to keep marketing, and then you, you know you create this momentum, but. That was one of the things in the beginning was, you know, like I said, it was, it was growing at, it was growing, but I felt it was growing at a snail's pace. I don't, you know, I don't know compared to other online video on demand, um, companies, how, how quickly they've grown or whatever. But, um, I just kept saying, okay, but we haven't lost ground. There hasn't, there hasn't, you know, year three, I was saying we haven't lost ground we're <laughs> we're still growing every month. We have not had a month where we where we didn't grow. Um and we're now able to, you know, pay for ourselves. We can't mm-hmm. pay back what we put into the business at first, but we're able to pay we're we're in we're in the black as mm-hmm. far as you know our operations. And then it got a little better and then it got a little better and then it got, you know, better than the studio. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I, I think that, you know, that was a lesson for me of, you know, you you have to just write it out. And I've read enough business books and and talk and listened to enough podcasts to know that, you know, that, that is the thing. Just when people quit is usually right before (laughs) everything was going to be, I mean, who knows, because they quit. But it's usually like right before things would have been successful. And, and, and you talk to people who are successful and they say, you know, at one point I really was ready to pull the plug, yep. but something told me to keep going. And then, and then right after that was when things started to turn around. And so I think as long as you can, if it's really your passion and if you really believe in your product, you, you keep going and you, and you just find other ways, like what other ways can I market this to get in front of the people that I know will also like this. And um you know in the beginning we it our our stuff, our marketing was, you know, unpaid social media, posting and you know, it was it that was all I could afford. So it was, you know, putting myself out there as much as I could and using the email list that I had from the studio in the beginning and you know, that sort of thing, just to, just to try to get it out there and, you know, getting the smallest booth I I could afford, mm-hmm. the tiniest booth at the trade show, just to be there in front of people and giving out, you know, free t-shirts. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather spend money on being able to give something to somebody to take home than on a bigger booth. So, you know, that like things like that, where you just figure out ways, um, figure out ways to, to expand, and one of the things we did in the beginning, in order to do that, was the John Gary Show, where I had people, and you were a guest. I had people on, um, and so it's networking, right? Yeah. Because they're going to say, "Hey, I was on this show," and they're going to promote it. And so, so you know, it's there are ways that you can market that. Don't cost a lot of money, but they do take more time, yeah. and you just have to you just have to be willing to do that in the beginning.
0: And I, I think you know what you what you say there resonates for me as well. I think when for 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 me as well, and I guess for most people, you know when you when you have this vision, this dream of starting your own thing, you think, oh, it's amazing. You know, you like, i oh, it's been like a revelation from heaven from for me, and now I understand how I can solve all the world's problems by you know, creating this business. And you think, well, as soon as I tell anybody about it, they're going to see how miraculous this thing is that I'm creating as well. And they're going to be like, oh my goodness, can you know, how can I be part of this? You know, where do I put in my credit card details, please? You know, but but the, <laughs> <laughs> the reality is, you know, you put your ad out, you put your email out, you put your social media post out, whatever. It's like, you know, point zero. You know, 0.1% of people, you know, stop scrolling when they see it. And of the people who stop scrolling, you know, 0.1% of the people of the 0.1%, you know, tap on it, you know. it's so, like it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not as interesting to yeah. other people as it is to you inherently because it's your baby and it's your, you know, it's a big step in your career and you're, you know, putting yourself out there. It's like, so you're so emotionally invested in this. You think, oh my God, this is so you know, powerful and life-changing and everything, people is like, yeah, oh, there's John Gary doing his exercises again, you know, or whatever. Like, you know, people – Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People – other – it's not you – know, other people are, are, are too caught up in their own concerns, you know, they don't see it as, as, you know, life-threatening if they don't sign up for your thing as, you know, you do. And And when I say you, John, I don't mean you. I mean, like, me, you know, everyone – it's the same, you know, my my advertising and my dreams and my expectations, and versus reality, were exactly the same when we started out. Breathe education, when we started out, breathe or being our um, studio that we had previously from two thousand and six. It's like I was like, oh my god, we've got such a revolutionary concept. It's group reformer, people are going to love it. It's going to change their lives. And people like, what's group reformer? Nah, I think I'll just go to the gym instead. You know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think you know it. It's it's good to I think. Uh, yeah, my ten cents worth here is, you know, when you're starting out something, is like, and you're super excited and passionate about it. I think that's a good thing, and I think that's necessary to give you the momentum and the perseverance to, you know, stick through it when you hit the inevitable tough times, because you will at some point. Um, but just you know, try and understand that, uh, you know, take a different perspective and understand that, like, the degree of passion and investment, emotional investment that you have as the creator of this thing is like. A thousand X more than most other people. You know, it's just not that important to most people. So um, you're going to have to slog, yeah. slog through, you know, finding your tribe, and that's going to be a you know needle in a haystack job uh, a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's it. Like I said, you know, it takes. Well, you were talking about it. Like I know when I'm scrolling through social media, I'll see an ad and I'm like, oh, that's cool, and then. Even later, I'll be like, oh, I want that ad. I'm going to go back up. I'm interested in that. And then you can't find it. So, you know, it's really important for you to continue to get in front of people multiple times. And so that has to do with, you know, being really consistent with your posting, whether your Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or all of them or YouTube it's really important that you post regularly because not only is there more likely a chance that that person will see it again, and this time they'll stop, but you also, uh, you know, you, the algorithm is in your favor if you post more. Um, so, you know, there's more, they'll put your, your post in front of more people if you post more. So those things are, they're simple things that you can do. um, and, you know, just, uh, I think, you know, it's easy to say, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna post this because I know it'll get a lot of views, but if it isn't, if it isn't true to your brand or true to what you are trying or, you know, what your product is, then all you're going to get are the views. They're going to go away when that, you know what I mean? So it, it's okay if you don't get a lot of views, as long as you're hitting the people who are going to be interested in your product. Right.
0: Um, I want to talk just, you know, we kind of have touched on a couple of things uh, already, but, you know, is there anything else that you want to share just in terms of like, what do you see as the drawbacks of creating your own thing? You know, if I'm, if I, if I'm coming to you for advice and saying like, you know, oh, I want to start my own thing. You know, what are the, some of the things I might not have considered that might be like negatives?
1: Well, you know, I talked before about having the two studios and working, you know, 12, 14 hour days that has, (laughs) I'm not working 14 hour days now, but I typically work more than an eight hour day between, you know, filming and social media and writing notes for the workouts that we do all that that kind of stuff. It's it's more than that. And it's more than five days a week. Mm -hmm. So when you, you know, You are the bottom line. So if you are not or cannot put in the time to nurture your business, it's not going to work. So, you know, you can't, you, you really do. That's why I think it's so important for you to love what you do and be passionate about what you do, because it's much easier to put the work in that it requires Than if it's something you just think is a good business idea, Mm -hmm. I I think, I think it's much harder to do that, you know, year two, (laughs) putting in all of those hours and you're still trying to get in the black with your, with your, you know, revenue. So I think that, I think that's a big pitfall. I think people don't realize that working for yourself <laughs> is, is a more, lot more hours than more working hours,
0: for yeah. someone else. All right, all right. So, what about you? Can't
1: you can't walk out? Yeah. You, you, so that's the thing is when you're working for someone else, you can leave at the end of the day and go on with your life. Uh-huh. You know, whatever whatever it is. When you're working for yourself, yeah, your easier your business. Life. Yeah, is it is your life. It's always on your mind.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so you know, it's it's a lot. It's
0: a lot. What about, um, all right. So I think, you know, from where I sit, this is something that you manage really well, but this is something that I see a lot of studio owners and I hear a lot of studio studio owners telling me they struggle with, which is, okay. So, you know, John, you just said, okay, do something you love. You know, I mean, this is not exactly what you said, but you kind of said, do, do something, do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life. Um, and yes, it is work, but it's like, it's enjoyable work. Um, and, but, you know, what, what I've noticed a lot of studio owners you know, saying to me is like, oh, I, I started this Pilates studio because I love teaching Pilates, but now I'm actually, you know, doing the books, I'm, you know, <laughs> you know doing admin, I'm yeah. covering classes for instructors when they call in at the last minute, I'm, you know, haggling with clients over, you know, whatever, cancellation policies, I'm wrestling with the online booking system, I'm doing my taxes, you know, it's like, I'm doing everything but what I actually love. So, how have you how have you navigated right. that? Yeah,
1: um, I have Mike.
0: <laughs>
1: <My partner. laughs> Mike. I don't want to do the books. <laughs> um, so, you know, I I am fascinated by the whole by that by the whole accounting system and all that stuff. I I I enjoy, um, you know learning about all that stuff. I do not enjoy doing it on a consistent basis. And I do rely on Mike. He's someone in my life who loves that stuff. He, he loves to do that stuff. And so, so on the one hand, it's fortunate. On the other hand, if I didn't have Mike, I would pay for someone to do that. It's so easy now, um, to, you know, there's so many consulting is so big right now. Um, you don't have to have somebody on staff. That is one thing I learned after um, having the studio and having the responsibility of all those employees. I knew that in this business in with John Gary TV, I didn't want, I have one employee. I have just one employee and uh, he's an editor and, and, and he works from home. So, but I need, I know I need that consistency. I need someone that, I have those hours from every week so that I can get done editing what, what needs to be done. Everybody else is a contractor, everybody else. Um, you know, now I have a marketing team. I didn't have one for the first, um, four, four and a half, almost five years of the business. Um, now I have a marketing team, but, but they, it's a contract work. So they have other clients. It's not just me. Um, I had my own website. Uh, and but I wanted apps, and our web developer couldn't do that, and actually was cutting back on the amount of hours he did. So I found uh, Intellivideo, who hosts our, who hosts and and has the website and hosts the videos, and they have the whole subscription. They have everything integrated. So I don't have that part. But they don't work for me. It's you know it's a company that I pay to do that stuff for me. Um, the so it's I think it's important to decide what you want to do in your business. It's not that you're not going to work but you're going to decide what you want to do in your business and you're going to find a way to do that. So if you enjoy teaching you are going to find a way you're going to put yourself on that schedule and you're going to find a way to do that and you're going to give, because you're gonna make more money teaching people. If it's your own business and your name is on the studio, you can charge more. You're gonna make more money doing that than, than what it would cost to pay someone to do your books. So I say get some contractors working for you. You know, you've got a lot of contacts, especially in something like the Pilates studio. There's so many people there that will say, Oh, you could I know this person or I know that person. There's so many easy ways to find affordable contractors to do that stuff for you. And that's, that's what I say. I mean, that's, that's what has made my life a lot easier and allowed me to do the things that I love.
0: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Do you know, You've know you designed it consciously, and as I've tried to as well, so that you get to do the things that you are good at and that you enjoy doing and that fulfill you and, and that feed you rather than the things that you're kind of a mediocre at and the things that, you know, suck energy um yeah because exa- you know that. because exactly. a lot of those things i mean you can just hire somebody on upwork you know upwork.com to do it for like 15 us dollars an hour or whatever and you can go and teach a class for 200 dollars an hour exactly yeah yeah and
1: then and then you know i i think look, i think what happens is you get into this thing of, oh my God, I can't afford to have somebody do that. I can't afford to have somebody do that. And you don't really know because you haven't priced it out. And what you can't, I think what, you know, what a mistake is, is to say, okay, I'm going to do that, but I really don't want to teach because, because then, then you're just, you're spending money and you're, you know, you, you've ended up spending money and not, And not being smart about, I'm spending this money. I'm I'm booking this person for this many hours, and I'm going to teach that many hours and make you know ten times as much or whatever whatever it is. So I think you have to you know you have to be smart about it and make sure that you are going to actually spend that now free time or open time doing what you love, and hopefully that's something that brings in revenue.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so overall, like, what are the, you know, like you've been, you've, I mean, essentially you've been in business since the you know, mid 1990s for yourself, haven't you? Like if we can.
1: <laughs> you were going to say the dawn of time. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: Um, you know, I've been, I've been in business since 2006 with my own studio and effort for a decade and then breathe education since 2016, we're in now 2022, so that's six years. Um, uh, so, you know, so what would you say, you know, overall to sum up, uh, like, you know, what, tell, tell us about the, the, the positives about being in business. Like, you know, what's, tell us, tell us, tell us what you're grateful for. What's, what's awesome about it for yourself, you know, about creating your own thing.
1: I I think there is, you know, and I'm going to go back to what I said before. There's a sense of freedom. Which, you know, that doesn't mean you're not working, but there's a sense of, of freedom. There's a sense of, um, you know, that just that entrepreneurship is just an amazing thing. Just creating your own path and making the decisions. I love making the decisions. I, I love com- coming up with ideas. That is one of the things that... I love the most and whether that is creating a class or creating an idea for the business of what we should do next and then deciding, okay, is it on brand? Is it not on brand? If it's on brand, let's go for it. If it's not on brand, it's a good idea, but it's going to take away from, from other things. So I think it's just being able to make those decisions. My favorite thing is being able to make those decisions and not have to ask someone above you whether or not you can do that. Yeah. That is my, my favorite thing about it. Um, it, it's just, it, you know, to me it's life changing. It just, um, it, it just gives you that sense of joy and freedom. Um, and it doesn't come up without its pitfalls because, you know, obviously, like you said, <laughs> if it fails, it's also that's you. So, um, so yeah, so that's, I think that's, uh, I think that's the, the number one thing that I, that I would say, um, if you're, if you're willing to take on the responsibility of, of everything, you know, I mean, that's basically what you're doing is saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to start this business. You're also saying I'm gonna take on the responsibility of everything. Yeah. So if you if you're willing to do that, um, and then that's good. There I you know, there are so many people that have worked for me that I have talked to about why don't you do why don't you start your own, you know, that worked for me because I could see how much potential they had and that just not into it. Mm-hmm. I I I love coming in and teaching. I love leaving at the end of the day and going and doing whatever, whatever it is that they, you know, their other passions are and they, you know, and I think that's great. That's just not me.
0: Yeah. I think, um, a lot of people, a lot of Pilates instructors see, you know, starting your own business, starting your own studio as kind of a, a progression from being an instructor. It's like, you know, level one is you're an instructor level two is you open your own business. And so, so like, okay, I'm an instructor now. I'm feeling confident. My classes are full, so I guess that means it's time for me to take the next step, which is open my own business. And I, I want to, you know, challenge that. I don't think it's the next step for everyone. I think it's a step, and it can be an incredible, you know, powerful, liberating, you know, freeing, exciting, fulfilling step. If that's your thing, you know. Um, and but it's not for everyone. Yeah. And and when I say it's not for everyone, I don't mean it's like oh. Not everyone's good enough. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's not for everyone. Just like, I don't know, blue cheese is not for everyone. You know, like some like it, some don't. It's, yeah. You know,
1: no. Right. So Mike, Mike is a great example, right? He, he worked for a large corporation, airline, um, before he came on board at John, at John Gary Pilates out in Long Beach to run it. He ran it. He helped build it bigger than it even was. But he missed. Being in that big corporate setting, he missed having somebody above him, you know, kind of directing and being in that huge organization. that like, like, he loved that. Mm. And so, you know, he's back there now and he's happier than he's ever been. Mm. So, but for me, that's torture. That's mm. like, oh my God, I can never, I can never go back and, and work for someone else at this point. I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Um, I'm with you, so I think, you know, yeah, but, but for him, it was like, he is so happy right now. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's in management. It's not like, you know, he's not like,
0: he's not um, a baggage handler.
1: He Well, yeah, he did, He's not entry level, right. He moved, he went back in pretty much where he, where he left mm-hmm. the industry. So he's a director. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's a, it's just a role that he absolutely loves. And, and so that's the thing I think, you know, you have to take a look inside. I agree with you. Not every instructor has to move on to, to be a, a business owner. Um, I think you have to look inward and say, okay, what do I like the most about teaching? And is that going to change? If then I have a responsibility of people working for me and, you know, all, all of that other stuff that goes along with, with being a business owner and, you know, it it does It just isn't right for everyone. Sometimes people think they're uh, they're they, that they want to do that, and really, what they need is to move to maybe a different studio where it it's more a better fit for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe they they just don't like the the boss or the owner or whatever in the studio that they're in. But it's not like they don't like teaching. Mm. Um, they don't necessarily want to be the boss, but they want to they want a different boss. And I think I think that's very legitimate.
0: Yeah. John, this has been such a great conversation. Well, we'll see, won't we? <laughs> oh, yes. So, yeah, we'll we yeah. put it out tell. there yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and we'll see. But I enjoyed it very much.
0: Thank you. Well, you know, like you were saying, like it's, you know, like uh, it's work that you enjoy and that you – you know, what you find great fulfillment in, and it kind of is your passion. Like it's what you do for fun as well as being, you know, your work. Um, and for me, it's the same, like this is my actual social time, you know, like this is me socializing with my friends. Like, you know, we're just recording it while we do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, no, Mike, you know, Mike's, uh, our house is, uh, is next to the, the film studio. And, Mike's office has a window that looks at the hill that goes down to the studio, and he said to me during the pandemic, especially he was in that uh, office every day, so he would see me, you know, going down and up from from filming and you know making trips back and forth to the house for for whatever, and he, and he said, "You just always look so happy coming in." I'm going into the studio and he's like, I bet a lot of people don't look like that when they go to work. But um, I do I like have a little bounce in my step and I'm like, let's go make a movie, you know.
0: Because <laughs> well, you've you've designed your perfect job, John. I mean you've designed your absolute perfect dream job.
1: Yeah. And you know what what I want to say about that is I did it in my fifties. So, you know, for people who are saying well yeah, it's easy for him to say or whatever, it took a long time for me to get here, but I but I got here. You know, there were a lot of things along the way that you know I did that I really didn't like, and I had to figure out what else I was going to do. So, you know, I I say, if it's something that you're passionate about and you really want to do, don't ever give up. Just at some point, you'll find a way to do it. Just keep
0: going. What a great message! What a great message. I get you know a lot of people saying to me, "Oh, do you think I'm too old to become a Pilates instructor? I'm 31 or something." And of course, my answer is like <laughs> oh. <laughs> you've still got a heartbeat, haven't you? So yeah, therefore you're not too old.
1: Yeah, so um, that's actually when I became a Pilates instructor. I was I was 30
0: or 31, 31. Yeah, yeah. Well, I so, I, I started Breathe education at 44, something like that. Um, went back to yeah, uni. Yeah, opened my
1: studio at 46. Yeah,
0: so. Yeah. Folks out there, and you know, I'm looking looking forward to seeing the next exciting things that you do, John, um, in your fifties and sixties and beyond. And I'm looking forward to the exciting things I'm going to do. In, <laughs> okay, I'm in, in my sixties
1: already. <laughs> yeah. Now, how now? Okay, so do you, is it is it really how old are
0: you? Yeah, I'm fifty. I, I'm a, actually I turn fifty one yeah. next week.
1: Wow! Oh. Congratulations! That's Thanks. a huge milestone. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm looking forward That's to. Great.
1: It. Yeah, I. I think it's a great time in your life because you do kind of a lot of the things that you stress about in your twenties and thirties and even in your forties, somewhat forties it starts to turn around a little bit. But I think when you're in your fifties and now that I'm in my sixties, there's a whole, like, you know, uh, this is crass, but there's a whole, you know, no more fucks to give. I'm just going to do it because I want to do it. So I think that's, you know, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it makes it makes some
0: of these things a little bit easier. Yeah, it sure does. Oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could go back to being twenty in your twenties and have that knowing what you know now?
1: Um, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I had a really good time in my twenties. <laughs>
0: Better not to know.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I'd have as good a time if I knew what I knew now.
0: <laughs> good point. Good point. John Gary, thanks so much. It's been so awesome talking to you, and I always enjoy it.
1: Yeah, ditto. Thank you so much for having me on again. Talk to
0: you soon. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model, so... This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide, or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.